The continual changes and innovation in building materials has us constantly refining our tactical approach when it comes to firefighting. There are so many different factors that contribute to what we see on the fire ground. Things like building materials, synthetic furniture, and not to mention all the unknowns. So we have to be just as adaptable as the fire is. Fortunately, there's an army of people at Underwriters Laboratories and other agencies that spend a great deal of time doing the research for us. All we have to do is make an effort to read over these findings. Having all of this scientifically validated, previously unrecognized, and potentially life-saving information doesn't really mean a thing unless you can interpret it and apply it. In the spirit of simplification and making things firefighter-proof, in today's episode, I'm going to attempt to condense what I've read and learned into three practical approaches that should cover the bases. You are a firefighter and an EMS professional. You are a part of a worldwide brotherhood of dedicated servants and you put your life on the line every day for others. Because of that, you deserve better. We are often our own worst enemies and it's time to own it. Let's work to improve and change the status quo. That change starts with us, right here, right now. In every situation we're faced with, as we see a need, we own it and we act. Be the ideal firefighter you would want in your crew. Be ignited. Hey everyone, my name is Ryan Rodriguez and I'm the founder of Ignited and your host for the Ignited Firefighter Podcast. The Ignited Movement is a brotherhood of firefighters who challenge the status quo through a forum dedicated to self-improvement and accountability. In each of these episodes, we discuss a myriad of different things challenging the fire service today, from leadership and tactics to how to improve ourselves physically as well as mentally. We aim to civilize the mind but make savage the body. And even though the focus is on the fire service, topics and principles we discuss can be applied by professionals everywhere. That being said, let's light the spark. With all the information being researched and published, it's difficult to pick out the things that could really have an impact on the way we do things. And like I said, fortunately, UL and other research organizations, along with some really talented individuals, have done a lot of that work for us. And you've probably heard of things like slicers and dicers. If not, I was thinking about going into those more in-depth in an upcoming episode. Uh, maybe. We'll see. I haven't decided yet. But um, this is like going along with the slew of acronyms for different processes that we are trying to adopt or introduce and those are science-based as well. And with all the acronyms floating around out there, which ones should we really be putting into application? I know that each one of those acronyms has something to contribute. I'm not trying to take away from any of those. And it's up to organizations to determine how they want to approach tactics and strategy. However, I'd like to speak to you as individuals. We all know that NFPA is the governing agency for standards and practices in our community here in the U.S. Then standards trickle down to our respective organizations and then eventually us as individuals. So I'd like to talk about some simple things to keep in mind 
that will pretty much cover us when we're on the fire ground, no matter what the fire ground situation is or the reason for the fire. I don't like the idea of stacking on ridiculous acronyms that really have nothing to do with the fire service, simply for the sake of forming some word that we can easily spew out when our training officer asks us about it or for some written test or something. Instead, I prefer to think of practical steps or simple things to remember that are based on the science and logic of fire science. I like the idea of bringing the science to the street. We can all pretty much agree that water flow is good and airflow is bad, right? Like that's basic science for us when it comes to fighting fire. However, putting water on a structure fire from the exterior was looked at as useless or even harmful once upon a time. But now, based on the science and research, we know that applying water to an interior space containing fire or even heated products of combustion will cool every area that the smoke flows into. Every area, not just that compartment. We can't just rely on, quote, salty science, which is a lot like bro science in the gym, right? We need to utilize a scientific approach and pay attention to the findings coming out of that research. One of my college degrees is in fire science, not fire theory. I'm a student of learning all that I can about my profession because ours is a profession that our lives depend on our working knowledge and understanding of the things that influence the dynamic events that happen on a fire ground. I'm 15 years deep and still very interested in what researchers are discovering. I want to arm myself with that knowledge so I can be better at what I do, and as a result, I can be the firefighter that I'd want on my crew or responding to my home if I had an emergency. Another thing that we believed was that ventilation ahead of fire attack cleared smoke away and heat and thereby enhanced our ability to advance our fire attack and search efforts to the point that most departments pre-assign that task to early arriving units like a ladder company or whatnot. Live fire testing while measuring interior temperatures has demonstrated that increasing the exhaust of smoke and heat when performed prior to fire control leads to an even greater increase in the production of smoke and heat than that which is passively released. In other words, the benefit isn't worth the work or the risk. Now, I'm not arguing that ventilation isn't sometimes necessary. What I'm saying is that the risk versus reward should always be taken into consideration, as with anything you do on the fire ground, right? I don't operate in an always or never mentality because you just can't, uh, especially on a fire ground. Things are so dynamic. Things are constantly changing. You can't work in an always or never mentality. The last thing we want to do is add to the problem because we're stuck in a certain way of thinking. With all the things we know and have learned over the years, we know that water flow is good and airflow is bad, just like I already mentioned. That's one of the most basic things that I learned in school when I was going through my firefighter one and two certification. Water flow is good, airflow is bad. Which is why I was absolutely dumbfounded when I came online full time and watched a captain walk around a structure with a pike pole uh, on a reported fire inside that we've been called to. And he started smashing out all the windows. And when he was done, I asked him, hey, why did you do that? 
And he proudly answered me, puffed up his chest and proudly answered me, well, I'm ventilating the structure. Meanwhile, I'm thinking this guy's an incredible jackass because he basically just doomed that structure and everything inside. Ultimately, the fire did exactly what it wanted to do and consumed the entire structure and made conditions completely defensive, resulting in a total loss. It was shameful. Needless to say, I did everything I could to get myself the hell away from that guy and uh, onto another crew where I didn't feel like my life or my sanity was in danger every single day. Through the experience and science of doing research and documenting things like I just mentioned, we know that it's neither necessary nor better to delay fire attack until we reach the unburned side or the interior of a structure. We know that opening up a building prior to cooling the fire causes a worsening of conditions. It's proven. So applying these principles to our current practices results in changes that are at the same time simple and radical because some people are just so stuck in their ways, like that guy, that captain. He thought he was doing a great job. He was proud of what he had done. Incredible, right? A absolutely asinine. Like I said, applying these principles to our current practices results in changes that are at the same time simple and radical. Simple in that they're easy to learn and require no new equipment. And radical in that they are in some ways the opposite of our previous methods or way of thinking. Now keep in mind, the things I'm about to share aren't new in any way, but it is the timing or sequence of some that should be adjusted. We still need to operate hose lines, we still need to ventilate, we still need to do forcible entry, we still need to perform our searches and do salvage and overhaul. We still need to do all of that. We just need to do it in a more conscious and methodical manner. There are 20 tactical considerations from firefighting research that Steve Kerber has provided in his presentation that I'll share in the show notes. Um, it's called, what is it called? It's called Top 20 Tactical Considerations from Firefighter Research. So that's 20 things that you can go through. The presentation is put together very well. There's videos included. Like I said, I'll put a link in the show notes. You can click to it and it'll take you right to it. Um, you can go over it on your own time. You can even use it as like a way of training with your crew. It's pretty, it's pretty, um, informative and he put together a really good presentation. Uh, go through it. Like I said, on your own time, formulate your own opinions and implementation in your own time or in your own, on your own crew, in your own organization. Talk about the things that are relative and figure out what works for you guys. It's, like I said, a very interesting presentation. I highly encourage you to look over it and take into consideration the things that are presented. However, you're not going to remember 20 things when you're on the fire ground and shit's going down, right? Your adrenaline's going to be pumping. Your mind will be racing a mile a minute. So the less complicated I can make this, the better. The science and research can basically be boiled down to three simple things to keep in mind when you're on the fire ground that will outline the approach you should take in order to control a fire within a structure. And here they are in order. Confine, cool, and clear. Now let's break each one of these down. First up, confine. Prevent airflow to the fire compartment until the fire is controlled. Keep doors closed, avoid creating openings, or use a combination of, of those methods. 
obviously the idea of completely sealing a building is usually neither practical nor possible. So the idea is to at least minimize airflow to the fire. Open doors or windows only as much as necessary. So once you go through a door, partially close it. Ideally, you would want another firefighter or crewmate posted there at the door to hold it closed and help feed hose line. And what this does is that it'll help block airflow and it allows easy passage of hose lines and crew members. It also kind of helps with accountability because that person at the door sees and knows who's going in and who's coming out. This could ultimately look like crews who were previously always assigned to open up a building now being the first to redirect to the opposite function until the next step is completed. And what's the next step? Cool. Begin applying water to the fire compartment as soon as possible. Get the water on the fire, right? The obvious battle that we're fighting is to reduce the temperature within the structure or involved fire compartment. There's no benefit to delaying this, and therefore it should be our primary objective. And yes, there are exceptions, like when we have victims hanging out of windows due to the heat that may require immediate rescue. Um, but all the while, life safety is our number one priority, and we need to search every space within a structure where a victim could possibly be located. Now, performing a search is a meticulous and labor-intensive process. Applying water isn't all that meticulous, and it'll typically have the greatest impact on the survivability within an entire structure and can usually be done in a matter of seconds. It's my opinion, based on science, that the direction of those host streams should be directed to whichever route is quickest, whether that's from the outside or the inside. So keep in mind, the initial goal is to cool, not necessarily extinguish, even though cooling may do just that. And if that's the case, then job well done, right? Two birds, one stone. Even though it may be hard to figure out where the seat of the fire is from the outside, keep in mind that reducing the temperature in an adjacent area reduces the temperature of the entire structure. Number three, clear. Remove remaining heat and smoke after fire control. Once you've got good knockdown and you have fire control, limiting ventilation becomes less important. This last step is where the dynamic of ventilation shifts. We want to exhaust as much of the products of combustion that we can. Get that crap out of there, right? The main goal of this is to improve the interior conditions for any known or potential victims. It facilitates other interior operations like salvage and overhaul once fire attack operations are done. And please don't be the type of person that takes your SCBA off to do salvage and overhaul because that crap, all that, those like cancerous particles, they're still floating around. Wear your mask, wear your air pack, wear your SCBA, take care of your lungs. But um, I digress. Thinking about mitigating risk once the fire is knocked down, consider the methods that you could take in order to ventilate the structure or compartment. So one could be a vertical ventilation, right? Which is a passive technique in that we are simply creating a route for smoke and products to disperse. But this requires crews to climb to the roof, cut a hole, and coordinate with interior, right? So that's pretty involved, pretty involved process, a lot and a lot to do for something that's so passive seems kind of counterproductive. 
Another could be more like the more active method of negative pressure ventilation or hydraulic ventilation that is much more effective and involves much less needless risk, right? You don't have to climb to the roof. You don't have to, you know, use saws or anything. Yeah, I know this takes away a lot of the fun of the job, but do you want to get on a bunch of roofs and add a bunch of risk to your life? Or do you want to enjoy your retirement? Like, I don't know. I'm all about being aggressive, but like I said before in a previous episode, being aggressive for the sake of being aggressive just makes you a douchebag. It just makes you look like an idiot. That that's the guy. That's the guy who's the captain who walks around the structure and smashes windows because he thinks it's cool or because he thinks that that's what you need to do. Like that guy's just an idiot and he thinks he's being aggressive, but he's just being an asshole. So keep in mind, the names of these terms are simply tools to help you remember a systematic process for how fireground operations should go when it comes to putting water on the fire specifically. These aren't meant to replace or change your tactical benchmarks of things like primary all clear or fire control or anything like that, like loss stopped. This isn't, this isn't to change any of that. Also, the idea of rescue isn't being dismissed here either. That idea is implied in what we do and why we exist, right? This is merely a process that I use to systematize my approach to a structure fire. Everything needs to be performed on an as-needed basis, just like your initial size-up. Um, also, just like establishing a water supply and, and things like forcible entry. Obviously, you need to prioritize your tasks and make sure that you're always operating in a safe manner that doesn't put anyone else in jeopardy. Just remember, capabilities drive the sequence, right? Organizations with more resources can do a search while they initiate fire control, while others with less resources may have to prioritize that and make a choice. Which of those needs to happen first, based on the reports they got, based on what they're seeing, and what the dynamic looks like on the fire ground. I'd like to say that it's as easy as those three things, but it's not. The process of confine, cool, and clear is simply a way for you to have a mental pathway to lock in on when you're making your fire attack and remain task-oriented while improving your speed, safety, and effectiveness on the fire ground. Our work is dangerous, it's dynamic, and it's labor-intensive. And I don't know about you, but when it comes to adding to my tactical toolbox, I'm all about learning something new, as well as new perspectives on fighting fire, especially if it's science-backed and not just salty science. It's my hope that you all stay healthy out there, that you stay alive, and that you stay ahead of those things that are out there ready to kill us at a moment's notice without any regard for who we are or what plans for the future that we have. Be aware of your surroundings so that you don't turn into a training video that other people are learning from in the wrong way. As always, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Ignited Firefighter podcast. Please subscribe and share these episodes with someone who you think should hear them. As we delve deeper into these topics, we can come together and help each other learn and grow. Remember, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at IgnitedFF. Please feel free to shoot me a message and ask any questions or send me some feedback. I'm building this community for us. One way you can become more directly involved is to join the Ignited Firefighter Podcast community on Facebook. 
This is where we as firefighters and EMS professionals can come together and dive deeper into the topics discussed on the show. Remember, we're brothers and sisters, and we need to do what we can to rebuild the brotherhood that attracted us to the profession in the first place. The only way this is going to happen is through open and honest communication. Be real with each other. As we openly talk about things and ask tough questions, we give our brothers and sisters power to do the same. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, if you see a need, own it and take action. Be the ideal firefighter you would want on your crew. Be ignited. Ignited.